everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Audio check. Raph, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, good sir. How are you? Doing great. Looks like a beautiful Tampa Tampa Bay weather day out there. Uh, um, this is probably the cloudiest it's been, but that's not very many clouds. So they're like wispy, kind of cotton wispy, beautiful sun shining, fighting through the clouds, but still gorgeous and starting to get hot and humid. So that's the way I like it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's getting it's getting a little spicy out now. Yeah, we're I, I guess thunderstorms are starting to come in, which has helped keeping us cool, I suppose. And then I have a, a pretty beautiful setup in my backyard. I, I can see for a few miles and then the lightning storms is probably my favorite thing to watch where I don't have the rain, but I can see the storms. That's awesome. Yeah, we man. need some rain. We are, um, if I, if I sound more nasally than normal, it's, uh, allergies are, crushing everybody around here it hasn't it hasn't rained in probably two weeks and and we have a lot of allergens in the air already like i'm not a big hyper allergic kind of guy but we are getting absolutely crushed everybody if you walk around tampa everybody's just sneezing watery eyes blowing noses i mean it is just it's epic so hopefully it rains soon and gets some of this junk out of the air hopefully well, How you been, brother? Great. I am a fantastic man. I, I have my coaching outlet through some middle schoolers, and we, John and I ran a little training camp introducing them to the barbell for the first time, and that is always a eye-opening experience. That first, yeah. the kid has zero uh, body awareness where we're asking for flat back or giving these cues, and there's just that <laughs> no connection whatsoever. So it was awesome experience to go back to that as a coach and lean again on movement to help do the coaching for us where words are just going way over these kids' heads. But we're back to it with the, uh, the basics and the dead bugs. And that, that was a one-day clinic, so aiming to, to turn that into some summer training camp for the guys and, and get John back in the saddle with coaching. I know he hates that term, but I think he enjoyed it. Now, did they respond? Did they do well? What happened? Oh, yeah. Back into it. I mean, they, it was a mix of a few different schools. So, I mean, you, you're very familiar with Texas in the area, different schools, different prides with your high school. So we were able to pull in from some different high school regions and, you know, that different heights, different kids. And they just decided to get into it, like after it, once they, you know, knew each other's names, played some, some knee tag going back to her Rees trick, and man, yeah, they, they had some fun. So it was a good three hours. We were back in the coaching saddle, and at the same time, it, man, it was a humbling experience reintroducing or introducing movement to some kids for the first time. That's awesome. Now, yeah, what man. What did you pick up from that? The, let's see. Um, well, I we had a coach come in, Coach Lewis. He helped us out, so then... Finding instincts to say, all right, 
words are not working for me at this rack. I'm going to default to here. So then calling, uh, hitting, basically being a quarterback, looking at Lewis to say, hey, we're going to change our programming on the fly. Let's go ahead and put seesaw walks into this because I know we got deadlifts next. Let's get them lined up and uh, use the seesaw walk to cue and direct the next action, the next movement, so that uh, that spatial awareness of leading the team rather than just my individual uh, that was that was the takeaway again getting into that that weight room style where we can talk one-on-one or give a direction to an athlete through train heroic now that weight room sense it was a good uh, good flex good training to get back into it how many kids this camp we had 17 signed up so three That's three good racks start. yeah three good racks and you're familiar with the power athlete gym yeah, it was good. It was a good starting point. Did you guys do any movement work with them other than what was in the weight room? Yes, uh, speed. So we did speed first, and we have this little hill on the back. And in an attempt to get them to train how to sprint, we were using the hill. So awesome. forcing forcing them to get those knees up. And we began on the floor, old school cross football warm up one with dead bugs, seated arm swing some Spider-Mans into some kneeling arm swing with some lazy arms to start to track and dial it in, get that patterning down and still nice and relaxed and into some simple high knee action, some up tall and fall starts, skips, of course, and then set them free on that hill to, and of course, racing each other. Got to have a little foot race in there and some competition to set them free and then giving them one or two things to, to focus on when they lined up. And, and the, the big coaching was the, that crossover step, that, that value. And one of my takeaways from you, which we'll get into in a moment, was that the difficulty of teaching a, an athlete to pull when they're, they're doing a crossover step and moving laterally through space with that lead leg. And we were simply hammering it. That was the only coaching we were giving them to to begin. It's just pull, 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 and then on the on the whistle, get them after it. So, what was their headspace like? Were they were they coachable? Oh yeah, and the these kids, I had for probably sixty percent of them, I had been coaching them up through the sport of lacrosse. the The rest of them were football kids from different schools, so they were used to my my voice. And approach oh, that's but great. That's great. keep it keep it fun keep it silly i know and i mean they're 13 14 so it's not the end of the world if if we're not executing these things but um getting them to to listen preparing them to be coachable for when they go to the the football coaches because mm-hmm. man i i am well aware of the what they're walking into when they do play football and some other sports at this level so just preparing them to be as coachable and have that attitude of effort and intent and intensity so that they, even if they're not doing well, they're not going to do their coaches wrong and those coaches won't get mad at them. You're right. You're right. I love it. That's fantastic. How'd John turn out? Did he, uh, was he quick to get back in the saddle or was it? Of, of course. Like I gave him the tall guys cause, and he could talk to them as a tall guy and, uh, get them ready for the awkwardness because they are certainly if they're 13 and they're already pushing six foot they got some more they got some more ways to grow towards the sky 
So I think he was good in that, that John loves to give advice, as you know. So it was beyond the sets and reps for him and just helping these kids get into their bodies and telling how he was six foot three, 160 pound pencil neck, um, the regaling of the, how his brother would make fun of him. I think that was fun. And, uh, rather than making fun of these kids, he was just telling how he would get made fun of for his awkwardness. I don't know if they picked up on their awkwardness at that time, but, um, Man, yeah. I mean, he's he's having fun. He just hates that coach term. So everybody it, calls him John. It's definitely different because it's a it's a whole different breed of athlete. It's a um, the way that they listen to messages, the way that they perceive uh, discomfort, the way that they look at effort and hard work is completely different than than from our generation. So to be able to step into those coaching shoes if you've been out of it a while is it's always interesting because the way that and oftentimes what we always find is as a as a former athlete who goes into coaching and you oftentimes coach the way that you were coached it it it's an interesting split between okay this is what worked for me but now if I walk away and you're not growing in, into the, the craft of coaching to step back in, you're going to notice that there is a very distinct, huge difference in, in the way that these younger athletes can be coached. And it's, and, and it's always interesting. And that's why I always say sometimes when people come to me and they go, hey, I'm going to take on this this middle school, or I'm going to start coaching high school. I'm used to only training pros or whatever. And there's that big gap. Oftentimes you'll find a lot of coaches, if they aren't fluent enough, they're, they're going to, they're going to crash and burn because they just listen the same words that, that I used to coach John. It, it's almost a completely different language and, and they interpret those same exact words completely different. So I was curious to see how, how that worked out well for John. The, what you said there with worked with me. And like I mentioned, I was coaching some of these kids for middle school lacrosse. I was part of a, a three other coaches. So a four person coaching staff. And that was my biggest aim to get these coaches to not do. They were a couple play, one played division three lacrosse and two played club ball within that and they would coach these kids like they their last coaching touch at the college level whether it was club or d3 and i was aiming to just pull them back away from that because it wasn't in your face it wasn't aggressive it was using language that i mean i would i've said it before on the record like i would fire these guys if they were working for me how some of the things that would come out of their mouth and that was the, I was doing more coaching of the coaches than the kids at that point. The kids, it was just, hey, I'm going to talk a little trash. We're going to have fun and you're going to love to hate me and the word dead bug when you hear that out of my mouth. Um, and then like pulling those coaches away from, hey, let's recall or aim to remember when you were 13 years old, whether you were playing basketball, lacrosse or football. And how are those coaches communicating to you? 
And it was, you know, it was the same thing I'm sure you hear a lot of, of oh, kids these days. Like, what's wrong with kids these days? No, 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 no. I'm sure you were the same lazy, not listening kid way back when. Let's, let's put ourselves in those shoes for a moment. And what, what can we, how, how can we communicate? What can we say to then pull them into our perspective to get them to apply said direction that we need them to? And this led, I mean, certainly perspective that I had when I was working with you way back when in, in Tampa, and we had that opportunity to go help the, that high school football team out. And that was 100% culture first shift. And we were, sometimes we were coaching and directing, but mainly what you were aiming to do was train these kids. They needed discipline, they needed perspective. So it was more like training a dog and then it was coaching them up. They earned that coaching, but through that perspective, okay, we're going to aim it for discipline first. Oh, that's huge. And, and I think that's such a great step where oftentimes we as coaches, we always forget where we started. But on that note, one of the hardest parts about coaching is the majority of us are gym rats. And if you look at the hierarchy of athletes in a team setting, you'll have half of those guys, maybe even two thirds of those guys don't even want to be there. <laughs> when we were younger, it was half of them wanted to be there. The other half may, yeah, I'll be here because my friends are here. But nowadays when I look at it, I literally can take two slices of that big old pie and say, you know what? Most of these guys don't want to be here. And, and that's a huge difference between, for instance, we, we now have to ask pubescent boys to put more weight on the bar on a bench press. And that was unheard of when we were growing up. You know, we were, we were the generation and, and everybody prior to that, that, you know, I may not have been ready to do 225 on the bench, but sure enough, I was gonna put 225 on the bench. Nowadays, you have kids that, that look at discomfort and they look at um, trials and tribulations completely different. And, and a, lot, a lot comes from their upbringing. A lot comes from um, the verbiage that, that's used around the house. Um, the parents talk differently than the way that our parents talk to us. And so there's an empowering um, to, to the way that their behavior has shifted. And so it's always interesting where you get a 13 year old male who, who really doesn't want to touch heavy weights. And, and, and that's the shift where you talk about how do I not only tell them how to get to where they want to be, but this day and age, it's so much more important. I know it sounds fluffy, but you have to let them feel something. And then when you see that, that emotional response, then you know you kind of have a hook there. When all of a sudden you see a kid look confused or he, he starts to, his, his eyes get a little watery or he looks frustrated. This is the, the coaching that we live in now is, okay, that, that's what I was looking for. Now I can go talk to this person. You couldn't do that back in the day. But nowadays, this is what the kids need. 
they, they crave that like um, accountability, responsibility, things like that. You could sit there and talk to all of these kids to your blue in the face, but they don't understand that concept. But the moment they feel that concept, it can grow so much deeper roots because a lot of these kids, a lot of these kids are different and they're better than we were because they're almost taught to be, to be okay with feeling. When we were growing up, it was like, hide your feelings, shove them in the corner, bury them deep down in, bottle it up, yes let sir, it fester no, and grow until you just absolutely blow up on somebody. But these younger kids, they know, they go, oh, well, hey coach, I'm feeling a little bit. And you're like, okay, I understand. I'm glad you feel that this is why. Man, that's that's a, that's a key point, and this is a good segue into one of the topics I want to cover in that the pipe pledge, and where previously, I guess, our growing up, we could end with the E, which is the emotional quotient. Now, do you suggest we begin with that E? Should we rearrange this and and make a word that makes no sense? You actually have to. Um, uh, nowadays, they it, it doesn't mean anything to them. Um, <clears throat> the more that I'm around these young kids, the more that I realize it's that they've literally turned everything back in on themselves, where if you ask somebody to do something, especially if it's difficult back in the day, you could coach a kid to say, Hey, this is going to help the team. Hey, this is going to help your fellow linebackers. Hey, this is going to help you guys when you are playing man defense on the basketball court. Nowadays, and it sounds terrible, but you have to play the hand that's dealt. You have to take a kid and go, if you're asking a kid to do dead bucks and it feels absolutely terrible and his ego is struggling because he can't do something. And that's a huge thing for these young kids. They're struggling and nobody wants to look stupid. Social media has now put at the forefront that everybody wants to look glorious and so the moment that a kid doesn't feel like they're excelling then they potentially can shut the door and so now at that point in time you we used to be able to say hey don't quit for your other teammates don't quit on this don't quit on that but nowadays the young kids want to know hey what how does this help me they all point back to themselves and probably 10 years ago, that was a very jagged pill for me to swallow. It was like, well, you know, screw you little punks. This isn't about you. This is about the team. But then the more you do it, you realize you're shutting the door on these kids and, and I could win the battle and I can make them do a set of dead bugs and be absolutely miserable for a day or season or whatever you have it but I'll lose the war. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue that we may not like the landscape that we're in, but, but we have to learn how to navigate it. So when I look at that pipeline, I, I truly started to go, let's not look at these in order. Let's look at this as a, as a dancing Venn diagram. So you've got that PIPE and, and they are moving all over the place. And, and that E is a big target. If you can hit that E, you have a really good chance to develop a stronger relationship with that athlete. And for our listeners, let's take a moment to walk through 
the the pipe. What is our first P, the I, the second P, and then we've introduced the E. So uh, our PIPE started out with um, how we develop the athletes. And the first one was presence. It was what you are God bless, talented with, how tall you are, how big you were. Um, you looked at little things like just basic things that you really didn't have much control over. Um, your genetics, how you were built, um, even to the point where we push it into sometimes we, most times we are the product of our environment. You really don't have a say-so in there to a point. So if your parents are not, not really big into exercise and they don't push that, then you have a tendency to not value exercise. And so that is part of your presence versus if you are Raider and you have to live with, with Raph and Steph, then you are forced into a world that, that really is surrounding you with, with some pretty amazing people. And that's the only world, you know, so Raider doesn't know anything, but that, um, and, and that's not his fault. It's just uh, the luck of the draw. He was just kind of born into that world. The I is intelligence in, in terms of IQ. And so we try to let athletes know off of our experiences that if you develop bigger, faster, and stronger, but up here, you weren't intelligent enough to play the game, then you were always just going to be a weight room champion and you were never really going to take that into the arena. The next portion was our professionalism. And that's truly what we felt the, the next two separate a lot of people. And that's um, your ability to develop your craft. You start to look into some of the things like, yes, I'm fast. Do I have it in me to develop faster? Uh, I might be fast, but I'm not flexible. Do I have it in, in me to swallow that jagged pill and say, you know what? I suck at flexibility. I really need to focus in on that and make sure that my weak link is no longer a weak link. And that's a, that's a very difficult thing. What, what we find in, in this day and age of coach in the new coaching landscape. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us to the final and that's your EQ and that's your emotional quotient. And that's something that years ago we, we looked at and we figured out that, that what we did in the arena was just a product of our behaviors, our habits. And oftentimes I fell short as a coach when I would yell at somebody for displaying something that I knew was their habit. And that, and, and that was a, an eye opener for me to sit there and say, okay, I need to change this because I can't yell at them for doing something that I knew they were going to do versus being proactive in it and saying, okay, this is where they are and this is where we want them to be. How can I make those adjustments to eventually get to a point where they're, um, and, and I know it sounds terrible, but that, that positive manipulation of behavior of saying, hey, you overreact when something doesn't go your way. Let's work on some things that help you not to overreact so that you can keep your head in the game. So that when there's a bad call on the field, now all of a sudden you're not blowing up, you're not getting ejected, and now we can't play you in the national championship game, so to speak. And with with that blowing up, let's stick with emotional. Do I mean, and I know coaches are tempted to match that reaction and then almost blow it up and have that kid put their head down. 
what are some opportunities? Is it more responsibility? Is, is it not yelling at them during that mistake? And I mean, we can say there's practice opportunities and then there's game opportunities as a coach to help mend this behavior starting with practice what are some things that we can do to get these kids that we can anticipate if the going gets tough or a call doesn't go their way will react negatively well first and foremost we have to teach them how to compensate oftentimes what we find is in in the interesting landscape that that we are coaching in everybody wants to try to find this even keel they want to say hey Let's go fair winds, fair, um, fair weather, and, and just kind of be this boat that's just floating out in the ocean. Um, but one of the things that we quickly realized is it's natural to be really upset. It's natural to be really sad. It's natural to be really depressed. It's natural to be really frustrated. And when you get all of these things, nobody rarely does anybody ever teach you that it's natural it's okay but oftentimes what we find is people go oh well the coach is yelling at me for getting frustrated so now I'm going to display that some other way and that could come up in a myriad of ways and we're talking about some way over my head advanced psychology but you're talking about literally displacing your anger and turning that into something else. So one of the things that we first and foremost start with is it's okay to feel whatever, whatever it is. And then we want to go into teaching them how to compensate, recognize it, and don't let it get excessively out of control. So if you feel it, if you feel angry, that's fine. Recognize it because if you don't recognize it you can't figure out what's causing it and then once you understand what the triggers are we teach them how to compensate so then we say okay and 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 this works 99 percent of the time is just work on your box breathing box breathing is such a huge thing that we've started every athlete from from day one with teaching them how to box breathe this is how we calm yourself down This is how we pull you down. It's okay to be here, but now let's try to pull you into somewhere where you can make a good choice because the box will get bigger, your ability to handle. And that's how we come back full circle is we want people to understand that that there are crests and troughs. It's okay to be on a crest. It's okay to be on a trough. It's can we make sure that we can keep a level head and make good decisions within the amplitude, not trying to kill the amplitude, but teaching them how to ride the highs and the lows. And so box breathing is a huge thing for us where we teach it in a very confined area. We say, listen, we're going to sit here. And we're going to teach you how to breathe. Everybody got that. Oh, this is easy coach. This is easy. Okay. We're going to try to do this on push-ups. Everybody loves push-ups. get a sick chest pump. All right. We're going to do this. And then on the rest break, we're going to box breathe. Okay. That's a little bit more difficult. Now we're going to do a crazy five box breathing followed by a go fast now box breathe. And then once they get comfortable with that, we start to amp it up and pick things that are even more distressing, even more chaotic, even more temperamental for them. So that eventually they learn in a very, very chaotic environment that they are not only working on controlling them, 
but then we take it a step further and then we have them do accountability and responsibility partners where my job is to not only box breathe, but my job is also to watch you text and I wanna make sure that you are doing your box breathing so that you can start to recognize that distress. So I can see on a, a gas or ladder and as you start to pan and huff and, and you're getting frustrated because our coaches are instructed to kick the cone or to manipulate the stopwatch. And so now all of a sudden through the entirety of this program, I've got a kid who's gone from in a dark room or teaching box breathing through months down the road, we're running a gas or ladder, but I'm calling out BS times. And I'm saying, nope, Chris, you didn't make your time. Your, your team's got to do it again. And next thing you know, people are yelling, people are screaming, people are disappointed in you. And we want to be able to put them in that condition into that environment so that we can now coordinate this box breathing, this finding, centering themselves and giving them a chance to practice before they take it into a, a, a heightened game or within the environment of, of performance. Is it ever too early to introduce that mutual accountability? It's never too early. I, I'm a firm believer that nothing is too early to introduce. It's the pacing of how you progress that that will change everything. So any you could pick the most heinous thing that you could ask a kid to do in the weight room. It's okay to introduce it if you know the parts and how to introduce those parts because you've been in our program long enough to see that I can introduce 10 things and then one day I'll, I'll Mr. Miyagi them and say, hey, show me sand the floor. And they go, oh my God, I, what am I doing? How do I, I have no idea how I learned this. Well, it's because we put all those pieces of the puzzle together and we introduce something for you to hopefully your, your brain goes, oh, let me take this and this and this. And then next thing I know, I've solved the problem. Yeah, this this recall I did go through. I have this little black book from my 2014 stint at uh, I'll just call it the League of Shadows. And what year was that? 2014, my friend. Oh my god! Yeah, February to May 2014. Wow. Uh, Tampa Bay won. Uh, man, it was a great time. The, wow. How I my notes on chunking here. You broke it into, and this is. Day one, two, three, four, five. Chunking. We got into chunking. Well, I guess this is day four. Uh, reaction, decision, action. And how you were introducing. That's. I mean, I was just at the beginning of my indoctrination here, but the it began, I suppose, with my coaching. We were training reaction, and then we could integrate within the the speed con, the conditioning, the accountability, decision. And I guess set them free for action. Can you walk us through? I, I feel you introduced that concept here, but the the chunking of reaction, decision, and action for your athletes. Well, technically, you should start. Um, I guess maybe you were absent on that day or you were late. Um, <laughs> the, the very first part was action. So create an action that that we can coach that we pretty much know the outcome of, and then you start to create some stimulus that that draws the athlete to react to something. So it could be, hey, I'm going to drop this ball 
you are going to step forward with your right foot, catch it mm-hmm. with your right hand or left and left, whatever it is. And then eventually we do it. But one of the things that we found is along those pipeline principles is we broke things down biomechanically. And then we, we train those isolated individual components and then integrated that into bigger primal motions or fundamental movement skills. And then eventually incorporate those into, into big skills and drills. And then we turn those into reactive. So as we did that, we started to recognize the same thing with our EQ was, Hey, this all applies to the same emotional intelligence that what we're asking our body to do the mechanical portion. Now here's the psychosis portion. Here's the psychology of, of what's driving the human body to do what it does. So in that instance, it follows that same exact line. Here's an action. We want you, we want you to be angry. We want you to be sad. We want you to be, um, and then eventually we want to see, can I do a protocol that elicits that reaction? And in my head, I've got it written down on our workout cards and three quarters of the kids will, will elicit that behavior. I know that if I've got a group of young kids who are inflexible, I know that once I start my protocol, they're all going to go one of two ways. They're gonna get really sad that they suck at this because I put a metric on Spider-Man or I put a metric on seesaw walks or I put a metric on and they are gonna get very distraught that they're not good at this, especially how a coach conveys that message. Hey, Raider, great job on that. And then I noticed that his friend Jack is staring at me trying to figure out if I get a good job with that. And then I look at him and then I see him looking at me and then I turn away. And that is an immediate feedback where I held back positive, that positive response. And he goes, well, I don't get a good job. I don't get a good job, coach. No, you don't get a good job because this, 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 if you improve this variable, then maybe you'll get a good job. And then all of a sudden it just makes sense for them. So to be able to get that, here's the action and then here's the reaction that I'm looking for from an emotional standpoint. That's it's powerful stuff. And I mean, most coaches are trained or taught to, okay, program first. And this, I guess some would qualify it as soft skills, the emotional quotient, other athletes, they're never taught that. And do you feel that there's no systematic approach or the pieces in place that are educating coaches? They don't know. So they don't teach a deadlift is easier than, uh, coaching the emotions of a 14 year old volleyball player. Um, I think that if you are going to work and, and this, this comes back to what, what we talked about back in 2014 shades of awesome uh-huh. where you somebody might be good at at teaching a deadlift a squat a bench press whatever but the moment you're thrust into a role that requires you to prepare somebody to step into a ring in front of 30,000 people in front of 30 million people on pay-per-view you kind of have to know your stuff. And if, if you think that just getting somebody to squat better is going to 
give them the very best opportunity to be successful against potentially, arguably, the the fighter of the decade, Roy Jones, you're sorely mistaken. And so I would always tell people, listen, get people ready for the NFL draft because that is nerve wracking. It is a very nerve wracking thing to, to say, listen, if you run a four, four, you can get $3 million a year. If you run a four, five, you might get league minimum. You, you might not even make the roster. And, and there, I mean, nothing puts pressure on a strength and conditioning coach, like prepping something like that, like a Tarver where I've got to get him from 220 pounds to 175. And you got to go fight Roy Jones. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about that, that literally said, holy cow, I got to cross all my T's, dot all my I's. Let's figure out everything that we can possibly do because there's no way that we're going to beat somebody like that unless our margin of error gets bigger. And, and that's really what the goal of every strength and coach is, is, okay, yeah, you're strong, but are you fast enough? Are you, can, you, can you be fast, but can you replicate it through the course of 40 to 50 plays? And so those are all little things that, yeah, that's great that you can run a 4-3, but does he tweak his hamstring and now he can't play anymore? So my, my goal was to read as much as I possibly could to figure out as many tools in the tool belt. And if something came up that I said, Ooh, I could possibly, have I been wrong? Absolutely. There's sometimes that, you know, a screw has come up and I'm like, Hey, look at this hammer. And then I try to hammer it. I'm like, okay, that, you know, in hindsight, I look back and I go, that probably could have went a lot different, but that happens over experience that happens over working with thousands of athletes and eventually learning, okay, that was dumb. Maybe I could have went about it a different way, but every avenue that people can learn would, would greatly help because the complex young athlete this day, I, I, back in the day, we could just hammer nails Mm -hmm. and reach three quarters of the kids nowadays. I mean, you got to have an entire toolbox just to be able to relate to to half of them and hope that the other half come along. Like with with uh, positive reinforcement, a lot of that I learned a good friend of mine trained dogs. And I know it sounds terrible. And I actually presented this information one time and I got practically booed because somebody of prominence literally stood there and said, um, Coach Ruiz, I'm a coach. I coach athletes. I'm not a trainer. I don't train dogs. That's a huge disservice to consider my athletes dogs. And I said, well, listen, I've, I've worked with some pretty amazing downrange dogs. I've worked with some people who train some pretty amazing downrange dogs. And I think they're smarter than some of the athletes that I've ever worked with. And I said, if you feel that every one of your athlete needs coaching and none of them need training. Then I said, in this day and age, I think you're missing half of your athletes because half of them need coaching. Some of them need structure. The kids at Northeast high school, they needed to be trained. They needed to line up, 
boom, boom, boom. We're going to count them off by numbers. We're going to go military style. And this is going to be the best possible scenario for the majority of the kids. Versus if I'm in another environment, well, then maybe they don't need to be as in line and formation style. Maybe I can coach them in a little different way. But being able to listen to Mike teach these guys, teaching downrange dog handlers of, okay, there's positive, positive, there's positive, negative. You can take a reward and hold back of the reward. And then that has an unbelievable amount of power in, in your ability to positively manipulate actions. You could take a negative and say, listen, we're going to run hard. But if you do this, this, and this, then we're not going to run any gassers at the end of workout. Oh my God. Next thing you know, the kids are like, I know what that feels like. So he's pulling back on the negative reinforcement that also has a positive effect, or you could just kick stomp them into the ground. And in that route, you end up teaching them. They feel what it's like when somebody's really angry, they understand the consequences of, okay, you're just going to screw around in the weight room. We're going to create an unsafe environment. You're going to create so much of a distraction that the majority of your teammates can't even improve. You're going to feel what it's like when coach is angry, because if you don't do that, then withholding that negative consequence doesn't have any merit to it. Yeah. There was one time with you, uh, I feel this was very calculated in your coaching, but maybe the, the group dynamic in which we were training, we didn't value the warm up or the, the pre warm up, warm up, or we get to hit some volleyballs around or jog or do our own thing. And then we let off with some 60 yarders, maybe. So it was some intensity sprints right off the bat, no preparation, no warm up. And then we got a little talking to by coach Ruiz in that we needed to, to value where it feels like downtime shit. You better respect my time. And that, that calculated coaching, I've, I've pulled that a few times, um, where sport coaches would not value that we would immediately go into what they would ask me. And then they see this gap where, okay, th this may not look like much or appear as much, but there is still value within this and what you sir, ma'am are aiming to accomplish with, with our time and our sessions. Oh, 100%. And, and the more, I will tell you this, that Raider has made me a hundred times better as a coach and being around Raider and younger athletes as we've migrated more from taking what we've learned with our pro guys and saying, listen, we are very fortunate that we've worked with the pinnacle of, of, of high-end athletes. Let's, let's learn from all of our mistakes and, and we're gonna try to, to, to put all of the, the lily pads so that if, if God willing, you, you can make that jump one day. Well, the, the biggest thing I've ever learned was in the last 10 years is mindset is everything. It is one percent, it literally, there aren't a lot of athletes out there that, that could just jump into something and, and be, be as successful as, as they hope to be. And so one of the things that, that we've really gone into is, listen, I'll, I'll take more time 
explaining kind of like a director would in, in making a movie. This is, this is the feeling. This is what I want you to get out of it. This is the mindset that I want you to approach. And not only that, but teaching the, these young athletes before you come into the weight room or when you come in the weight room, before you go to practice, before you go to the game, establish your mindset first. If you don't do that, significantly devalues what's about to happen down the road. Your workout's gonna go to crap because you're gonna waste your first set or two. Same thing, like I watch Raider, that's one of the things that we do with this baseball team is guys will go out there and it's traditional that they kind of do that lazy warm up and they're just throwing the ball and, and jacking their jaw, which is fine. But then I noticed that all of a sudden they're like, okay, Raider, you're starting pitching, get on the mound, fire strikes. And he's just like, uh, okay. And then he's trying to figure out where strike zone is. He's trying to figure out how to throw hard. He's trying to, and I'm like, Raider, those are things that you do in a good warm up. Talk amongst your friends, enjoy it, but there needs to be a switch in your head, just like we do in the weight room, just like you do in practice that says, let's get my mind right. Let me figure out what I want to get out of this experience. So if you're in practice, is it getting me closer to my goal? Is it going to lead me to develop something that's going to help me develop into where I want to be 10 years from now? And if that mindset isn't right, there is zero chance that they're going to have a, any resemblance of it. And the problem we run into is as coaches, we try to force that. Mm -hmm. So I found that I do it all the time where I try to go, okay, guys, let's go. I'm going to drop the hammer and this is what we're going to do versus kind of leading him to figure that out, leading the athletes to go, okay, uh, you got a, you got an amateur fight coming up. What do you want to do with that? Where do you want to be? Is that a stepping stone? Is that a, is, is that going to open doors for you to be a sparring partner for so-and-so down the road or whatever the case may be, it could be on the basketball court. Oh, you know, you've always wanted a dunk. Is today's workout going to get you a step closer to that? And if they don't establish that on their own, then we're never giving them those tools to be able to get the most out of it. Because we, I always tell all my athletes, I, I'm never going to make you who you want to be. I will never do that. Um, I joke with Raider all the time and I tell him I'm a librarian. My job is, is I'll point to you where the books that you have to read. It's not my job to read them. And so my athletes understand that is listen, reference section, blah, 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 head over there to the nonfiction. You know, that's what you're looking for, but it's up to you to read those books. And they start to understand that it's up to them to read them and to digest it and to study that. Yeah. It's the, that path. I believe part of the, the professionalism for that athlete, but Absolutely. they also, they need, they need a leader at, at the young age to be, and this is a John Wooden quote, young people need a model to help them, but then essentially not doing the, their homework for them, showing them which way to the library. Once you've established the value of doing your homework, All right. um, I want to get into the, the expansion you've mentioned a lot throughout this discussion, your, your growth mistakes that you've learned from, and then uh, applied to your, your coaching and within the pipe pledge, we've been speaking it at it from a, an athlete's perspective. 
but it also expands to a coach's perspective. Their, their presence, their intelligence, their professionalism, and their emotional quotient. Was this a light bulb moment, or when developing this, this pipeline, did you foresee it as having the depth for coaches as well? No, absolutely not. It was literally a, a huge thing for me because as I was trying to organize this, this was uh, 15 years ago, and myself and Corey Knowles, who's a, a SEAL mentor, uh, he was presenting, um, and I was also presenting uh, just prior to him, uh, but we were talking about all of these things that he was looking for in, in potential SEALs uh, and trying to figure out why so many guys were washing out when you have a hundred guys and why there was such a huge attrition rate. Um, and then we were presenting at uh, one of the former Buccaneers players. He had a mind body clinic. And so I was organizing all of my thoughts to try to figure out um, how we were going to present this. And as I was going through and making all these notes, <clears throat> everything was just literally pointing back to me. I was like, Oh my God, I don't do this. I don't do this as well as I, as I would like to do. And then I started to at the same time, look at this and say, Oh my God, this applies to, to me as a person, not just as a football player on the, on, on the football field, but now it applies to me as somebody who's trying to lead these other kids to build a business, to build a company, to, to be some sort of positive role model in, in, in my neighborhood. So it was a huge eye opener for me. And the more I started to refine it, the more I realized that what we were doing with these kids could have untold positive effect on them for the rest of their life. Because as I helped them become a better baseball player, and reading the stats that, you know, whatever percent, only a, only a small minuscule percent of, of these little league baseball players will ever even sniff a major league baseball uniform, um, that, that my my role could be much, much greater than, than just teaching them how to run a faster 60. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this uh, pipeline, it's meant monumental things for my career because I was that single-minded coach was X's and O's and then the uh the hard charger the grind and really the didn't take into consideration anything beyond uh I mean the the intelligence knowing the the body the sets and the reps the specific adaptations when we apply said tool but it, it was a very eye-opening experience for me as a a professional and then witnessing the presence, many of your Power Athlete Symposium presentations, but then the daily exposure, whether we're working with the, the military athletes, your college athletes, or even the, the Northland High School, Coach Jeremy's boys, like, it was like, holy crap. There is so much opportunity to, to represent the, an ideal or potential that these kids don't know that they have, or even the, the successful individuals at the military level we had the opportunity to connect with when I was there like shit guys like you are the best of the best but there's still more and they knew it and that was that was a amazing learning experience of simply being within that uh, that ecosystem and then getting beat down every once in a while especially when it came to 
the pool? Anything aqueous, anything in the water, yeah. That, that's pretty much, a, a, you can, the, the majority of people, the moment that you remove somebody's ability to breathe, yeah. it, it seems to change things. Yeah, my day one, we were, I forget the name of the beach, man, but it was, uh, that was an exposure. You just said, hell yeah, show up this time. I did, and I didn't realize the open water, I don't know, I assumed swimming was swimming and had a lot to learn at that first day. <laughs> I can't yeah, imagine yeah. what you were thinking, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I had to swim along the shoreline and you informed me, we went back to breath and I just had to sing the star spangled banner over and over yeah. as we swam what felt like 10 miles. It was probably a hundred <laughs> yards in that open water. Uh, but <laughs> I knew it was going to be a, a hell of a trip after the, even just that introduction to, to that experience. That's really life changing because like I said, you felt it. You could read about it. You could sit there and watch a documentary on it, but it's different. It's, it's exposing ourselves to opportunities where, where we start to talk to ourselves, you know, all of a sudden where it's no different than Corey, you know, working guys through buds is, Okay, my job is is to make you doubt. My job is to figure out your reaction to something. And in, in his mind, back in the day, they would go, okay, there's a weakness. Let's try to exploit it. Versus now, his job, he feels, is to take guys now and give them better tools so that when they do go to buds, they, they, they are more equipped to be able to handle that situation. Back in the day, it was, hey, let's just hide those weaknesses. But nowadays, I mean, they're, they're, they're prepping these guys like they're getting ready for the NFL combine, so to speak, within their own, you know, with their own demands of, of special operations. But now it's, okay, you're not flexible because you didn't score a certain scale on this test. So now let's address that. Back in the day, it was, okay, just swim faster so you get more points and we don't have to worry about you know, the tick mark that you get over here. And so it's been really interesting and in, in watching the evolution of, of the young mind of, of how we as coaches are supposed to, supposed to work with that and getting young people to understand. Um, like I said, working with Raider was in, is, it's been interesting because there's certain things that I notice I have certain behavioral habits, um, if, if you as a coach come across somebody who's stubborn and you have a habit of butting heads with somebody as stubborn, that makes for an interesting weight room session. But one of the things that we always forget is that stubbornness can also mean that this athlete is persistent, that they're determined. And so I have one of two ways I can smash heads with this person, or I can take that and say, Oh, okay. He's persistent. Stubborn means persistent and determined. Let's give him a protocol that stresses that determination. You could give him, Hey, we're going to do fight for a hundred reps of, you know, 75% of your, of your squat max. And all of a sudden he's like, everybody else, nobody else can pull it off. But there's that one stubborn kid who will go, 
I can do it mm-hmm. and celebrate that moment. Take that. And instead of butting heads with it and turning that into a negative, a really, really good coach with a, with a strong EQ will say, okay, I'm not going to make him hate me. I'm not going to make him hate the weight room. Let's give him something to celebrate. And that could be anything like, a huge thing for us now is with young athletes is being unfocused. But one of the things that we found is kids who are unfocused, they actually have the ability to observe a lot of variables. And so instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to focus on this one thing right in front of me. A lot of these kids have the ability to go, okay, here's that, here's that, here's that, here's that, here's that. So now instead of butting heads with it, let's build that up and let's turn that into something that they could do mm-hmm. instead of sitting there and, and vilifying it. So a lot has to do with a lot of my mistakes have, have really stemmed from me being an emotional creature who's not afraid to set his hair on fire, who's not afraid, you know, to, to light it up, but being able to, to find the positive in, in everything. So if I have an athlete that, you know, all of a sudden we're like, Hey, let's, uh, somebody who's cautious, somebody who's fearful. So now all of a sudden that's a good thing in the right context, in the right circumstance. It's something that I've talked about at the power athlete symposium, everything works and nothing works. You just have to figure out when to use it. So in this instance, If I, just like I'm asking my athlete to define and saying, okay, what are you feeling right now? Um, I'm feeling defiant. Okay. They're defying me, but maybe that's not always directed towards me. Maybe that's just them being the defiant. So that's a good thing if we want a healthy rebellion. So in that healthy rebellion, that kid is looking at me with an opportunity to go, okay, coach, What do I need to learn here? And so I could either say, shut the hell up, get under that bar and do it. And they might do it, but they'll hate me. They'll never come back. Or I could say, hey, that is absolutely amazing. That's really headstrong. That let's use that to build some determination. Let's use that to say, you know what? I remember when you were a pitcher on the mound and That guy got ahead of you on the count and you backed down. That's not you. You should have went at him like a pit bull. You should have threw a fastball right down the the middle and made him come hit you. And sometimes they'll go, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because my mom tells me to not be defiant. Or my dad always yells at me because I'm too rebellious. Well, that might be a bad thing as a 10-year-old, as a 13-year-old. But when that person becomes a 25-year-old and they're trying to buck the system of saying, hey, listen, coaches have been doing like that for for eons. Well, the person like myself who had a healthy rebellion said, you know what? I don't really care what you guys are doing. I need to study this and I need to figure out and I need to reverse engineer for, for my own sake to see how this fits into my brain, how I can organize it myself. If I didn't have that healthy rebellion, If I had parents that were really strict about me being, you know, lockstep in in line with everything else, then I might not have developed a lot of things that I developed because I was just truly trying to be rebellious. 
sticking with that, can you speak on the importance of being a teacher and a mentor? You've touched on now father, that that's grown in the depth of your understanding of human and athlete and communication. Can you take us back to when you first started to, to teach others? And my first exposure to, to you as a teacher was t- 2009 at the, the fifth ever CrossFit football. Was CrossFit football your first teaching moment, or where, where did that begin? Um, no, I used to teach at the university. I used to do a lot of, of things there. Um, when I was in college, it, it was really important for me, and, and with, with a martial arts background, um, they're really big into, okay, as a, as a 10-year-old, we're gonna teach you these skills, and then when you get good mastery of those, you turn around and, and help the next group up. So all of a sudden, as a 10-year-old, you're going to help the seven and eights because you do a really good job with this punch or this kick or this block. And, and it's always worked from there. And as a young person, even in college, I learned when I started to really dive in and study, I always found that I did so much better if I learned it with the idea that I was going to teach it. Mm-hmm. So everything that I did with physiology, with biomechanics, with neurophys, all of that, I said, listen, one day I'm probably going to have to teach this one day, whether that means I need to figure out how my athlete is going to understand why I'm making him do a certain protocol. That's still teaching to me. That's still, okay. You don't understand Uh, the intricacies of it, nor should you, but this is why I'm asking you to do this hellacious protocol. And from that moment, that's another opportunity to build that strong relationship. If I don't do that, if I just say, oh, you know, just do it, trust me, just do it. (laughs) Then then there is no trust. And and I can never really develop those really deep, strong roots. And so all through college, I would teach. Um, I would I, amazing coach Pollard um, really put a lot of the speed development into my hands and said, you know, with, with the off season program, that's your job is to teach. And then he would come out there with like coach, coach Benny, coach Wiley over at Oklahoma, coach Morgan at UWF. And I would teach those guys, okay, this is what we're going to do. And that just carried over into everything that, that I felt that if, I needed to learn something well enough that I could teach it. And if I didn't, then I had no business implementing that into, into my program. If I couldn't get somebody on a superficial and a deep reasoning. Explain that superficial and deep reasoning. What so, would be an example of superficial and then the deep meaning? For like superficial, that would be something quick on the fly. Why are we doing this? Oh, it's stretching your hamstrings. That seems easy. Mm -hmm. Um, From a deep meaning, we want them to understand how will this, to go full circle, how does this benefit you? Okay, yeah, my hamstrings are more flexible. Well, remember that one time where you were trying to chase down the guy across the field and you reached down and you barely nipped him, but not enough to tackle him. Well, guess what? That was probably about 40 yards, right? Yeah, yeah, that was about 40 yards. And I thought I got him, coach. Oh, well, did you know that if you can just increase your stride length by one inch per in a 40-yard dash, 
you would technically run five yards faster. What? So by stretching your hamstrings on this exercise, you won't be put in another position where you can't be the hero for us. And next thing you know, they they're just like, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, now they're now they're doing it in their own warmups. They walk in the weight room and they go, oh, I'm going to do this because because there's that emotional content to what you just gave them. It's not, hey, do A and do B. It's, dang it, you know what? I felt so bad and I cried or I wish I could have been the hero of that game instead the other guy was. And so now with that emotional content, that, that psychomotor drive is significantly higher for them to choose to do, to make that voluntary choice to, to do that exercise. Boom. A lot of value in that for you coaches that are listening. Final question. The Ooh. Earn Your Sunrise. And this is through your Athlete ASAP account, the Instagram. Awesome combinations of movement. But the value you're, you're in, instilling, fitness, movement, training, hard work within the family, and then showing that off to the world. Can you speak to the Earn Your Sunrise concept and what you aim to accomplish there? Um, for, for me, it's a powerful thing because I know if, if I can do something that puts my foot in the right direction, it is a huge thing for me being able to help other people. So if I can live a healthier lifestyle and live a good example, then, then hopefully I, I help inspire Steph to do it. And one of the things that we've been doing lately, um, and, and this isn't a, a knock on anybody, it's, it's something that we've toyed around with for ages is, um, is off of what you guys have, have coined as the, the, the third monkey. What we always talk about here in our household is the first two monkeys. <laughs> Because the first two monkeys know what it takes to get on the boat. They know the champion mindset. They know a lot of things that the third monkey doesn't know. And so in that instance, a lot of times Raider doesn't understand why we're doing femoral internal rotation at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> but he sees us doing it. So we're going to be a good example we're doing Job's exercises that make your shoulder blades catch on fire and they bring tears to your eyes. We're doing crazy five lunges and rear foot elevated split squats and Bulgarians up and down stairs. And he doesn't understand any of that, but it's what we talked about before is he's involved in a culture that some point in his life, he won't know why he's doing the things that he's doing. He's just going to do and, and not just because he's my own son, he's going to do some magical, magical things because of all of the foundational, all of the, the groundwork that has been laid out for him. So getting him to understand, do something that, that other people aren't doing, do some things that, that right now seem kind of crazy, do some things that uh, it's always funny where you in social media, we are in such an interesting world where everybody gets vilified. Everybody is doing awesome things and all the awesome things that you do are stupid. And it's so funny because 
no matter what you do, what I found is there's 50, 50, 50 people, the percent of people will support you. 50% of the people will completely kick you in the testicles for, mm -hmm. for no other reason other than just to be overly critical. And so I looked at that recent thing. Um, I forgot who it was. Uh, it was the, the Titans running back doing the, the push-ups on the band with the chains and the, uh, he was on the, uh, he was on one of those, uh, the, the sport courts. And uh, what's the running back for the Titans? Henry? Yes. And that video went viral because he was covered in chains and he's right. doing these push-ups. And it was so crazy because in my head, we, we've done those for decades now. And they're very difficult to do. We never posted them on social media. And the moment he did them, I was like, hey, that's awesome. I'm glad he's doing them. They look scary. When you're looking at a video of somebody doing them, they look like it's the dumbest thing ever. But when you're doing them, you at no point in time do you ever feel unsafe. It doesn't feel like the band is going to snap. None of that. And what I learned, especially with through the years is, sometimes high level athletes just need to feel like they're doing something special. Mm -hmm. it, it may not have that much merit. It may not, that could be the worst exercise form. It could be an average exercise form, but the fact that Travis Henry is going to walk out onto the field feeling like he's got a little bit of magic in him from those, from whatever it is he chose to do. Awesome. And that's part of the magic of a coach is, Hey, remember when you did those, take that onto the field. Does it have carryover? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but in his head, that's a magical staff right there for him. Oh yeah. I'm sure he's going to use it. All those negative comments will fuel, fuel his fire. Him. He is, yeah. he is a one amazing uh, scary athlete. Oh, scary, yeah. scary, uh, funny, just something popped in my head. I'm not going to mention the athlete, but one of the dudes we were working with way back when, and you would pull out your phone, and if he wasn't giving his all, and you weren't even recording, you would just stand up, pretend you're recording, and then go through, all right, we got athlete here, he's doing a, you know, IT band slow twisting kicks, we're focusing on, and coach up through the camera just to get him going, because some days, some days on or off, and immediately, the, uh, the switch would flip because the camera was on the athlete and I thought Showtime. oh man that's that's something to hold in the back pocket this this guy it was awesome it was hilarious and uh one thing I did appreciate you'd always pair me with these difficult athletes to to work with or that needed Absolutely. the uh the pitchers or the the fighters they needed somebody dialed in or at least to hold them accountable even though my stature didn't match theirs it was a uh, a lot of responsibility in my hands. I don't want to mess these guys up doing MR. And when they still had some, some uh, time left in their careers. And sometimes it's, it's again, not a, because I do this to myself. Oftentimes you take somebody who, who has a celebrity status and they're trying to figure out why Chris McQuilkin is kicking their butt even though they have all these accolades, even though they have all of these on their mantle. Why is it that this, you know, 170 pound Filipino guy is just absolutely crushing me in this workout when I have 
this championship ring and this so-and-so championship trophy. And sometimes just that enough is, is enough to kick, kick the ego into gear and to go, you know what, I'm not going to let this guy do this to me. I'm not going to, and, and it pulls people along. It's that it's the first two monkeys. Mm-hmm. It's literally, I'm going to force you to do it. And at some point in time, you're going to build such an amazing habit of earning your sunrise that there's just going to be magic down the line, somewhere down the road. There's just going to be this magical unicorn dust that you can't figure out why I'm doing all the things that I'm doing. But oftentimes there's little manipulations like that. And even we could do that personally. It's you could sit there and take a situation where here's a certain protocol and you could compare yourself to, I do it all the time, like running a, a 400 and 800. We have a, a straight sidewalk over here and I'll look at times of 60 year olds. Okay, here's a six year old who can run 60 year old or even Raider. Raiders, we are in an interesting predicament here because Raider is getting really quick, really fast. And so now we're, we're kind of at that juncture where we're like, I get nervous when, when I race him because he is, he is getting, he's getting really flighty and um, it, it makes me nervous to race him with the idea that um, any day now as a 10 year old, as a nine, 10 year old, he's, he's going to finish ahead of me. He's going to finish ahead of me. And uh, it's, it's going to be a sad day for me. But that keeps you working hard. I remember yeah. When pickup basketball started to get a little bit more real for my dad and I, uh, <laughs> man, uh, they, I have so much more that we could potentially talk about and we, we got to make this a, a regular thing. I mean, we were only went through a, a few days of my, my notebook here, the black, black book, but, um, I got to say, thank you for one, your time here. And then all the other time that you've invested in, in my development to that I can aim to empower out all the athletes and coaches that I educate and coach. Oh, my pleasure, brother. My pleasure. I, it's always a pleasure to work with coaches that get it. Mm-hmm. It's always, you know, 99% of the, uh, the people out there, they come to these things and they, they work hard and their hearts in the right spot. Um, but, but there's this mental switch that says, you know, this person wants more. They're, they're not after just the, you know, the shiny little piece right in front of the face, but, but they're going to go dig deep. And, and you're one of those guys. So very thankful for all the efforts that you've put forward. Well, thank you, man. So if, if people want to get a hold of you, Raph, and follow you and your career and your awesome things you're doing with your family, how do they get a hold of you or follow you? Um, social media. So athlete ASAP um, on all of the social media platforms. And if you need to email me, it's the same thing, Raph, R-A-P-H, at athleteasap.com boom worth the follow i know that you will walk away with something coach if you're listening if you're a parent it's also a fun follow of to see some coaches doing some amazing things with the youth all right raf thank you very much appreciate that brother Bye. thank you power athlete now it's time for you to empower your performance Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. 
And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!